Welcome to Hope, everybody. We are finishing up a message series today. Uh, The series has been called Taking Care of You. And the first week of the series, we were talking about spiritual health. What does it look like to grow and to become healthier all the time as followers of Jesus? The second week was physical health. Uh, Last week, we talked about mental health. If you missed any of the messages, just a reminder, uh, you can subscribe to the Hope Ankeny podcast. You can go to the Hope Ankeny YouTube channel. Uh, You can listen or watch any of the messages. And this series was preached at a lot of different Hope campuses, Uh, so if you want to hear different voices and different perspectives on these really important topics, I'd encourage you to go to uh, those uh, podcasts and channels as well. Today, as we conclude this message series, the jumping off point for us is going to be this story uh, that we just heard Tony read for us from Luke chapter 10. Jesus is at the home of a couple of sisters. Mary and Martha, and Luke sets up the tension in the story this way. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what was taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Uh, The Greek word that gets translated distracted is perispao. Everybody say perispao. Perispao is two Greek words that they put together. Para, think perimeter. Para means around, and spao is to draw. So uh, the word picture is to draw around or to draw away. Sometimes uh, people talk about it this way. Do you ever play this crazy game where somebody gives you a baseball bat or a softball bat, and you have to put one end on your forehead and bend over and spin like 10 times? I get dizzy just thinking about playing that game. It's awful. But then after you've spun around it 10 times, you're supposed to run to the next person, the relay, or run to a particular target. But because you're dizzy and your equilibrium is off, even though you know the direction you're supposed to go, you know where the target is, you can see it, you can't run toward it. You just kind of find yourself drifting off in a way and everybody laughs at you. It's humiliating and awful. So um, we're going to play it right now. Just kidding. I, I think of that game when I see this idea of perispao. This is the only time in all the Gospels this word is used. And uh, sometimes uh, the biblical writer says, even though you know which way to go and you know where the target is and you're drifting off, it's like you're distracted. Something is distracting you. Something is drawing you away. What is it in Martha's life? What is the terrible, horrible sin in her life? She's preparing a big dinner. I was, I mean, I was a little nervous to actually put this, I mean, it's just so awful what she's doing. I was a little nervous to even bring it up in church. Why? Why is that considered something that is not good? I mean, isn't that, couldn't one argue? This is a very good thing for Martha to be doing. Maybe she has the gift of hospitality, a spiritual gift. And yet, the way the story unfolds, uh, the way Jesus responds to the story, the way Luke writes it because of how Jesus responds to it, this very good thing that Martha is doing, preparing a meal for the guests in her home, is somehow drawing her away, distracting her from something better. And that's what I want us to dig into today. What are the very good things in our life that sometimes draw us away or distract us from the very best thing in our life? Uh, One of my favorite things in life is watching movies. One month from today is Oscar Sunday. Who's coming over for the Oscar party? Nobody. Everybody hates the movies these days. But anyway, I love it. I've seen uh, all but one of the movies nominated for Best Picture uh, this year. And the the movie that I hope wins Best Picture is this movie, Coda. My favorite movie of the year by far. And uh, even if it wasn't nominated for any Oscars, I would uh, tell you you should watch this movie. Uh, It tells... I didn't know this before I saw the movie, but... CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults. 
child of deaf adults. And so uh, the main character is Ruby, a 17-year-old high school senior. And her parents are deaf. Her older brother, Leo, is deaf. She's the only one in her family who can hear, which is interesting enough. But then they add other uh, elements to the plot. And the, kind of the way I think about it is the movie shows us there are some really good, very good things in Ruby's life that are distracting her, drawing her away from the best thing in her life. Ruby sets her alarm for 3 o'clock every morning. And she gets up and she goes fishing with her dad and her brother. They just run a small family fishing business on, on the East Coast. She fishes with them for three hours and then she goes to school. Uh, her job in this family, she functions as the interpreter uh, at, in the fish market, uh, when they go to the hospital to see the doctor, when they uh, go out to eat at a, at a restaurant. She's the one that bridges her family to the rest of the world, the hearing world. And it's fascinating to watch and there's parts of it it's really good and it's really sweet what she's doing for her family. At the same time, at the beginning of her senior year, she decides to try out for the high school choir. She loves to sing. Singing is what makes Ruby feel alive, but she's never done it before because being a part of a family that is deaf, what, what's singing going to do? And so through the course of the movie, it becomes really interesting. Uh, she notices that her family is having a real difficult time making ends meet. And so she's going to have some decisions to make. Does she pursue music or does she stay and help her family? Take a look. What are the very good things in life that are distracting us from the very best things in life? The answer to that question has everything to do with identity. Uh, so for the next 10 minutes or so, we're going we're gonna to dig in really deep to some scripture and do some heavy lifting Bible study. You think you're ready for that? You're awake enough to do this? Okay, let's try this. Last week, we looked at this passage in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 really quickly. We're going to look at it a little bit more today. Uh, let's begin by reading it out loud together. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Part of what we see uh, the Apostle Paul doing here in Romans chapter 8, he's beginning this process of contrasting our sinful nature versus life in the Spirit. And this is not the only place in the writings of Paul that we see this dichotomy get set up. We also see it in Galatians chapter 5. I'll start reading in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Again, we see this contrast. A sinful nature versus life in the Spirit. And Paul spends a great deal of time contrasting these two, talking about these two. Now, why is this important? As you keep on reading in Galatians 5, Paul says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. The sinful nature and life in the Spirit, it's a constant battle in our lives, is what Paul is saying. And as you continue to read, he says, when we are dominated, when our thoughts are dominated, when we're living our life out of our sinful nature, it leads to certain kinds of behaviors. And he lists out these certain behaviors. Go to the next slide. Uh, sexual immorality, 
impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. That's characterizing the sinful nature. Life in the Spirit, on the other hand, the kinds of things that flow out of us or that develop in us, sometimes it's called the fruit of the Spirit. The, the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life as we're being led by the Spirit, letting the Spirit guide our lives and dominate our thoughts. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so one of the things that we sometimes do when we read through a passage like this, we reduce our faith and, and we make it very simplistic. We start to think, okay, here's, here's what I'm supposed to be learning through this. Uh, over here on the left-hand side of the screen, we got the bad things that I'm not supposed to do. And over here on the right-hand side, we got the good things that I am supposed to do. And really what a life of faith is all about, the reason we come to church, uh, the reason we say we are Christians is so that we can stop doing these naughty things and do more of the good things. And I'm actually convinced a lot of people believe this. This is really all what faith is, is about. Faith is about um, trying and trying and trying and just uh, efforting enough that I can stop doing this and my life can be marked by more of this kind of stuff, these good things, the fruit of the Spirit. And when I mess up, hopefully there's a God that loves me, hopefully there's a God that forgives me, hopefully there's a God who is gracious to me. But really, living a life of faith is just kind of gritting my teeth and clenching my fists and resisting the temptation to do the bad things I know I'm not supposed to do. The longer I follow Jesus and, and the longer I work with people who are really serious about shaping their lives around following Jesus, the more convinced I become there's a more helpful way to think about and to interpret what Paul's trying to help us see in this passage. I, I heard somebody say a couple of years ago, and it's been super helpful to me, maybe it'll be helpful to you. As you're reading through some of the New Testament writing, and they do this contrast thing between sinful nature and life in the Spirit, when you come across the phrase sinful nature in your mind, just think false self. False self. And when you see life in the Spirit in your mind, think true self. That part of what Paul's trying to see is this battle that's waging inside of each of us, am I going to be dominated? Am I going to be controlled by? Am I going to live my life out of a false self, a fake persona? Or am I going to live my life out of my true self, who God created me to be? And Paul says these two forces, false self, true self, it's a constant battle, ongoing battle in our life. When I'm living out of my false self, it leads to this list of behaviors that typically we refer to these as sinful behaviors. True self, false self. I, um, I don't think this is just some sort of psychobabble, self-help, self-talk way of understanding what Paul is getting at. I think this is a very faithful way of doing biblical interpretation. Go back to Romans chapter 8, the passage we started with that we read out loud together, where Paul first starts to set up this contrast, sinful nature versus life in the Spirit. As you keep reading in Romans chapter 8, you get to verse 14. This is all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 16, for his spirit, God's spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Remember, sinful nature versus life being led by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says when we're dominated, being led by the Spirit, this is what happens. It affirms deep in our spirit, deep in our soul, that we're children of God. 
It tells us who we are, our real identity, true self, false self. I think this is fascinating and, and, and super important stuff for us to think about. And when we are confused about who we are, when we are confused about our identity, a helpful thing for us to, to think about is the starting place, part of what Paul is getting at with this contrast. The starting place when it comes to faith, the starting place is not figuring out what do I need to stop doing. The starting place is identity. It's not about what I do, it's about who I am. And it's very easy for us to get confused about who we really are. And when we're confused about that's when that list of behaviors that we often refer to as sinful behaviors, that starts to be evident. Our, our life flows into those kinds of uh, behaviors. Maybe in the context of what we've been talking about throughout the series, now we've been talking about health, spiritual health, physical health, mental health. Maybe a helpful way of thinking about it would be to say this, the more we live out of our true self, the healthier we become. The more we live out of our true self, the healthier we become. And please hear me, there's nothing easy about this, living out of our true self. Paul's absolutely right when he says, false self, true self, sinful nature, life in the spirit, constant battle in our lives. Let me, I put together a couple of clips from this movie Coda that I think will kind of help illustrate this battle between true self and false self. So uh, Ruby's parents are struggling to make ends meet with their little family uh, fishing business, and now they're getting regulations that's going to cut into their profits. They decide, let's start a co-op, a fishing co-op. We'll cut out the middleman. We'll sell the fish directly to the people. We'll increase our profits that way. But of course, they're going to need Ruby to help. And for the most part, she's willing to help. At the same time, her teacher, Mr. V, her choral director, is telling her she does have something to say. She has a great voice, and if she wants, he would be willing to coach her as she um, learns and uh, auditions to get a scholarship to go to music school after she graduates from high school. So she's getting up at 3 in the morning. She's going fishing with her family. She's going to school. She's helping the family get the co-op going. She's going to music lessons. She's experiencing paraspao. She's getting pulled in all sorts of directions at once. It's drawing her away. These good things in her life are drawing her away from the best thing in her life. And she's not the only one experiencing these kinds of distractions. Take a look. And when I watch those clips, uh, something in me gets a little bit upset. And I think what it is, is I'm upset because the adults in Ruby's life are not loving her well. I start with Mr. V, the, the teacher. He's trying to help her audition for a, a music scholarship, and he's angry and disappointed and frustrated and annoyed because she's constantly late, uh, unprepared, lacking discipline. He is focusing on what Ruby is doing, or maybe more accurately, what she is not doing. Uh, he's viewing her, focusing in on her behavior, what she does. He's not paying attention to who she is. Because if he was, maybe he would get curious and ask some questions. Why are you consistently late? What's going on in your life? Is there something going on? This seems out of character for you. This isn't who you are. Parents, same thing's going on with them. They're so focused on the fear of failure in this new enterprise that they start to view Ruby, their daughter, primarily through the lens of what she can do for them rather than who she is. And it creates tension. Things start to get a little ugly. 
And, and even Ruby herself, she's focused in on how do I please everybody? How do I make sure I don't disappoint everyone? I think all three of them, Ruby, her parents, her teacher, you could say at this part of the movie, they're being led, their life is flowing out of their sinful nature rather than being led by the Spirit. Or you could say they're living out of their false self rather than their true self. Now, exactly what are we talking about? We talk false self, true self. What in the world does that even mean? Let's dig into it a little more by looking at the life of Jesus. Uh, this movie, Coda, and movies like it where the main character is a, a teenager or a young adult, often we refer to these as coming-of-age films. People are figuring out who they are. Uh, how are they going to live their life? What kind of life are they going to live? Coming-of-age films. It's really interesting. The, the Bible, the gospel writers... They don't, they don't tell us a whole lot about Jesus' coming-of-age years. Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. By the end of Luke chapter 2, he's 12 years old already. And then the next time we see Jesus, he's 30 years old. He's going out to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this is fascinating to me. I've always been in intrigued by the baptism of Jesus because John the Baptist says, here's what I'm doing out here in the Jordan River. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. So Jesus is 30. He's ready to repent of his sins and get baptized, right? Yeah. I mean, the Bible is really clear. Jesus never sinned. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the perfect Passover Lamb uh, without blemish, spotless. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is tempted in every way, just like you and I are tempted, and Jesus never sins. So what's he doing going to get baptized by John the Baptist, whose baptism is a baptism for the repentance of sins? What's going on in Jesus' baptism? Lots of things going on in the baptism. One of them has to do with identity, and that's what I want us to focus on today. So here's how Luke describes what happens when Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descends on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. This is one of the very few times in all of the New Testament that we hear the audible voice of God. might be important for us to pay attention to what is so important that it would be included that this is what God says in this moment. What, what does God speak? Words of identity and affirmation. Let me tell you who you are, and let me tell you that who you are is good. You're my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. Remember that verse, uh, Romans 8, 16? God's spirit affirms with our spirit that we are children of God. In that, what's happening right here? The spirit of God is affirming deep inside of Jesus' spirit who he is. He's the son of God. Think about what we do. We had this baptism for Trace. And at the end of it, we welcomed him into the Lord's family. We receive you as a fellow member of the body of Christ, a child of the same heavenly father. And he looked me in the eyes <laughs> as the spirit of God affirmed in his spirit who he is. He's a child of God. Big part of what's happening in Jesus' baptism is he is embracing his identity, his true self, in this moment in his life at 30 years old in a way that he had not up to that point in his life. I, I think we see it right here, but it continues as we keep going in Jesus' life. So as you're reading through Luke chapter 3, the next thing you'll see is a big long list, a genealogical list, family tree uh, of Jesus. 
But the next thing that happens in his life immediately after the baptism, he goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. It starts in the beginning of Luke chapter 4, and Luke chapter 3 is the first temptation. The devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And for most of my life, when I look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, I think, okay, so temptation number one is to do this really naughty thing and turn a rock into bread. Is that the temptation? Dig a little deeper. If you are the Son of God. What do you mean, if? God just said, the voice from heaven just said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. And now the devil's saying, no, you're not. And for 40 days, the devil's just kind of chipping away at Jesus. Are you kidding me? You're just the carpenter's son. You think you're the Messiah? You think you're the son of God? Give me a break. You were born in Bethlehem. You live in Nazareth. Chip away, chip away, chip away. In verse 9, the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem to the highest point of of the temple. And the devil says again, if you are the son of God, jump off. The temptation for Jesus in the wilderness, am I going to live out of my false self? Am I going to live out of my true self? Is my life going to flow out of a sinful nature? Is my life going to flow out of and be led by the spirit of God? Look how the story ends. Uh, as, as Paul is contrasting sinful nature and life in the Spirit in Romans 8 and Galatians 5, and then look how it ends here in, in Luke 4. Jesus, after the temptation, returned to the Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, that's our true self. And this is a big part of what we see happening in the baptism of Jesus. What does Jesus do from the age of 12 to the age of 30? We know next to nothing. What we do know is he spends some time working uh, with his dad in his dad's carpenter shop in Nazareth. It's a good thing to do. But it's not what Jesus was created to do. I shouldn't say created. It's not what Jesus was born to do. It's not who Jesus was. It wasn't his true self. Yes, he's the carpenter's son, but first things first... He's the son of God. So, I think we've reached the so what portion of the sermon. Uh, We've been talking up here at like a 30,000 foot view and theoretical, philosophical, theological stuff. And maybe some of you dig that sort of thing, but I'm guessing most of you are like, when's he going to be done? What what in the world is anything that we've been talking about today, how's that going to impact my life when I leave this place of worship? How's it going to impact the real relationships? How's it going to impact my job tomorrow morning when I go to work? So let's talk about that quickly. And and to uh, talk about it, let's return one more time to this sort of chart that we put up, uh, Galatians 5, that contrasting the sinful nature versus life in the Spirit. And remember, we said you could think about it as false self versus true self. One more uh, nuance or way of thinking about it that might help you make some uh, practical application from this. Your false self is your doing self. Your false self is your doing self. Your true self is your being self. Uh, Think of the story we started with in Luke chapter 10. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he taught, content being with Jesus. Martha is distracted by everything she believes she has to do. Martha's living out of her false self. Mary's living out of her true self. And maybe you're like, okay, preacher boy, I think I get it. What, 
What you're saying is you want me to leave and stop doing so much. Stop being so busy. Yeah, I think that'd be missing the point too. Um, did Jesus do much? His three years of public ministry? Was Jesus busy? There's a story in Mark chapter 3. The crowds are gathering around Jesus. He and his disciples are so busy ministering to all the people. Mark writes, they don't even have time to stop to eat. That's how busy they are. And there was nothing wrong with that. There was nothing sinful about that. They were doing a lot. When you, when you hear me say our false self is our doing self, it doesn't mean stop doing so much. And maybe here's a helpful way of thinking about it. I heard somebody say one time, Jesus was often busy. He was never hurried. Jesus was often busy. He was never hurried. Why is it not good to be in a hurry? You cannot love in a hurry. Jesus is doing all sorts of things. He, someone comes to him, hey, I got somebody sick in my house. Can you come and heal him? Jesus is on the way to, to heal that person who's sick. And as they're going, somebody stops Jesus, pull, tugs on the hem of his cloak. And Jesus stops in that moment. He doesn't say, listen, I've got an appointment I've got to go to. Sorry, I can't help you. No, he's able to be present and he's able to love in the moment because he's living out of his true self. It doesn't mean he doesn't do things. He does more than any of us. Maybe this is the key. When we're living out of our true self, it sets us free to love. It sets us free to be present. Again, what does this look like practically? Let's start with parents. Uh, don't need a show of hands or anything. Moms and dads, do your kids ever display uh, signs of hostility or quarreling or jealousy or outbursts of anger? What if when our kids are engaging in this kind of behavior, what if instead of just saying to them, stop doing these things that I don't want you to do, what if this was sort of like a, a signal, a, a warning bell going off? We're like, oh, there's something else going on here that I should be paying attention to. Uh, if your kid comes to you and says, oh, I've got a fever, do you say to them, well, stop that? Stop having a fever, would you? I've got a runny nose. Well, just stop it. No, we recognize those are symptoms of something else that's going on. What if we could start, when we see these lists, and they show up all over the place in the scripture, these lists of sinful behavior, what if one of the things we do is say, oh, oh there's a, that's a symptom of something that's going on up here. My, my kid, for whatever reason, is not able to live out of this confident assurance that they are loved by me and by their heavenly father. And so this is actually an opportunity for me to lean in and remind them who they are. Remind them how loved they are. Uh, again, don't need a show of hands or anything, but any of you employees, <laughs> any of you uh, have bosses that you work for, do you ever find yourself at work feeling a little hostile or quarrelsome or jealous or have outbursts of anger because of some decision that somebody made and it's like, they don't know what's going on. What if, again, when we find ourselves in these kinds of spots, there's, again, there's always multiple things going on. But what if one of the things that's going on when we find ourselves here is maybe there's an identity thing at play, and maybe my identity has become a little too attached to what I do Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Um, maybe it becomes an opportunity for you to have a conversation with your supervisor or your boss and get curious and say, um... This decision seems out of character to you. What, what's going on? Help me understand why you, 
this is the best decision for our organization. And maybe they say, because I'm the boss, I say so, that's why. And then you have a decision to make. Do you want to be a part of that organization or look for something else? Oh. I haven't talked a whole lot about the top two lines here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Think about teenagers. You think about uh, young adults, single people. They're the only ones that struggle with that sort of stuff, right? I mean, once you get married, then sex is a piece of cake. What if, teenager, single, married, what if when you're experiencing hurt or confusion or frustration in this part of your life, one of the things that you could start to think is this is a symptom of something that's going on up here. And if somehow I could learn to just be more confident, to trust, to believe that first things first, I'm a child of God, that might actually impact what starts to flow out of me. I think this is real practical stuff. What are, what are the symptoms? Am I living out of my false self? What are the symptoms when I'm living out of my true self? These two forces are constantly battling, so we're not free to carry out our good intentions. When we feel that freedom to carry out our good intentions, pay attention to that. Some, something is in alignment at, at that point. One more clip from this movie, Coda. Um, Ruby and her mom are experiencing a, a lot of the symptoms of the sinful nature. And at one point, they have to have a conversation to remind themselves, who are we really? Take a look. Let's stand together. We're finishing up a message series where we've been looking at health. And as we wrap it up, I just this simple reminder that I have for you. The more you live out of your true self, the more you know who you are as a child of God, the more that frees you up to experience the life that God has for you, to become the healthiest version of you. So let's sing this song right now as an ongoing reminder who we are.